All right. Throughout the uh, Christian Bible, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when people have a dramatic or significant life-changing encounter with God, it is normal for them to either have a name change or for them to name the place that the, that the encounter happened a special thing that causes them to be able to look back and remember the significance of the event. Who's with me? When there's a significant divine encounter, usually there's a name change of some kind. So years ago, uh, my friend Brian Connolly, our friend Brian Connolly came. This was what, 2011 or ish? And does anyone remember that he gave a prophetic word? It could have been like on a Saturday morning. I remember I fell out of my pew because he was saying things that I hadn't even told my wife yet that I had been praying about, that we would be a school of prophets, that there's a sound emanating from this house, and that just like John the Baptist goes first to prepare the way of the Lord, there's a sound, there's a sound that goes out in the spiritual realm to call people to readiness before the Lord's return, and that there's a sound emanating from this house, and I think he even had like a mile radius what did he say, 20, 30, 40 miles? I can't remember how many mile radius. There's a sound emanating from this house. And it will precede and prepare the way for the Lord's return. And he said, this congregation is a bridge and a gateway. A bridge for people to cross to enter into. And a gateway for people to pass through. So that lost and hurting people will find out that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus in this place. No condemnation in Christ Jesus in this place. And I remember saying, that's it. That's it. We got to change the name. The event, the encounter with God was so significant to me that I said, we've got to change the name. Uh, let's change it to gateway because we're to be a gateway into grace. We're to be a gateway into the presence of God. We're to be a gateway into the kingdom of God. We're to be a gate through which people pass where they experience their, their value, God's love, and the freedom and life that are in Jesus. Now, you could say, well, that's, Tim, that's true of every church. That should be true of every Christian. Yeah, I know that. Do you think I want to do something that, that is just for us? Like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not really interested in us doing something that we're the only ones doing. I'm interested in us doing the main stuff that Jesus is all about everywhere all the time. Right? And I'm not interested in us competing with other church, churches to be compared to them and be more special or more spiritual or better. Like, I doubt we're better at much than anyone. But it doesn't matter, right? Sorry, babe. You know I think you're stunningly beautiful. But I don't think that objectively my wife's the, the most beautiful or the only beautiful woman in the whole world. She happens to be my favorite woman in the whole world. She happens to be the one that I'm sweetest on by an infinite margin than, anywhere, than anyone else. Right? And so if you have a mug that says world's greatest dad, you don't believe that. Come on. Give me a break. You're not the world's greatest dad. You're probably average. You know? But hopefully, hopefully someone thinks you're their greatest, their favorite dad, right? So I'm not trying to be the world's greatest church. We're trying to be a faithful church. We want to be partnered with other churches. 
So when, when, when we get a prophetic word like this, by the way, I just feel the Lord all over me. When we get a word like this, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we're more special than anybody, but it means we're saying yes to what he's revealing to us, right? And, and churches do carry unique graces. Churches each do carry unique strengths. It's so easy to trip over what somebody doesn't carry and not receive what they do carry. It's so easy to come into a church that focuses on evangelism and criticize them for not focusing on discipleship enough. It's so easy to, fo- to find a church that focuses on adoring God through song and say, they're not going deep enough in the teaching. It's so easy to focus on you know, a church that is super disciplined about Bible study and, and criticize them for not having enough spiritual gifts being practiced. Instead of take the thing that they're doing that's healthy and learn from it without stumbling over who they're not, right? Can you receive other Christians for who they are without stumbling over who you wish they were, right? It's just so normal to go through life thinking there's a right way to do things. There's a million right ways to do things. You know, how, do you, how would you like to do it? Not everything is an absolute moral truth issue. issue. But if you think it is, then, then what you'll end up saying is your way to do things is the only way to do things. And your world will shrink. You'll have a tiny little body of Christ and only you and people like you are in it and everyone else is just in sin or heresy and everyone outside that is pathetic. So we don't want to be that way. So when we talk about our unique calling, it's not us saying, oh my word, aren't we amazing? No, no, no. It's saying there's this, there's this beautiful, diverse thing called the body of Christ, but we're allowed to be a particular thing inside of that. We're allowed to have a shape, a DNA, a personality, a voice, an emphasis, a calling. And we are called to stuff we are not good at. In the world, you take a bunch of aptitude tests, personality tests, gifts, inventories, skill tests, and they go, this is the career you should do based on what you've said here. This is your career. In the kingdom, it doesn't work that way. In the kingdom, Jesus calls you, God calls you, and assigns you to do something, and whether you're good at it or not is irrelevant. Whether you're comfortable with it or not is irrelevant. Whether you like it right now is irrelevant, because sometimes you like it later. Have you ever had that, where the Lord called you into something and you thought, I'm going to hate this, and then it ended up being your favorite thing if you fast forward a good decade? It, it do be like that. So we, we, don't, we don't figure out what we like and what we're good at and then say, that's my calling. We encounter the Lord and we hear his voice and we feel his heart and he calls us to a thing and then we learn how to do the thing. Who's with me? So what he called us to do is to be a place of grace. What he called us to do was to be a place where people would encounter his presence and his love and his kingdom when they encounter us. So that was Brian's prophetic word. And then a while later, another gentleman named Max came through and in the middle of a, of a chat, I think it was a Sunday night chat, he left his whole prepared notes behind and started to talk to us from John chapter 10. And I had the scriptures this morning on the announcement, pre, pre-service announcement slide. Let me see if I can find it here quickly. John 10, I'm going to start at verse 7. So he explained, I tell you the truth, I am 
the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. And those who come in through me will be saved. They'll come in and go freely. So we'll come in for rest and we'll go out for pasture. He'll bring us in, heal us up. Oh my word, what a good word. To come into his presence and sit down and breathe and heal. And once we are restored, once we are refreshed, then he sends us out. And the interesting thing is we go out to pasture and you go, well, that's more, more about me eating. You know, when Jesus went out to pasture, do you know what he was doing? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Isn't that interesting? There's food on the front lines. And the further you get, from the mission of Jesus, the more you spiritually starve. The further you get from in daily life, keeping in step with what the Father's saying and doing, but the opposite is what we intuitively want to do. I'm a mess, I'm depressed, I'm hurting, I'm sad and I'm lonely, I just don't want to be around people because I'll inflict my stuff on them. I don't have enough me figured out for me to be about their issues. But here's the thing that happens. In your inadequacy, As you speak life and encouragement over them, you can't help but hear the words you're saying to them and have your soul begin to receive nourishment from those words. It's like, it's a fascinating reality. There's food on the front lines. So he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. You'll come in through me. You'll find rest, refreshment, safety, protection. You'll be able to sleep and I will be a wall around you. Praise God, right? And I will send you out for pasture. I will, I, you'll, you'll come in for rest and refreshment. I'll, I'll send you out for the work. And the food's on the front lines, in the pastures. That's where the work is. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, verse 8. But the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come in and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief, John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose. Okay, so there's a thief too. There's the good shepherd and then there's a thief. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's that about? Right. So there's, there's an enemy. And there's, is there an off-season for that? Is there a truce? Is there like, you know, a time, you know, on certain days he just calls a holiday? Like when you're weary enough, he says it wouldn't be fair to hit you when you're down. And when you get, yeah, when you're having a bad, not a bad day, when you're having a bad couple of years, he goes, I'll leave them alone. That wouldn't be fair. No, he's a thief. He's a liar. Still kill, destroy is what he does, right? My purpose, says Jesus, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd does this, sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand. Okay, so now here's another character in the story. We had the thief. We have the good shepherd. Now here's another one. The hired hand. Hired hand is working on the, in the farm, right? All right, this is, this is interesting. The hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. A few years back, I was in the basement trying to get ready for service. 
or I, I was supposed to get ready for service, but instead I was having a little existential crisis. Who knows what I'm talking about? We were like, I should be praying and working on my sermon notes. But whatever, I got bigger fish to fry. Why am I still here at this church, Lord? What is wrong with me? Am I just like a glutton for punishment? Is there something wrong with me? Shouldn't I just get out if I was emotionally healthier? Why can't I let go? Why can't I let go? And instantly the Lord was like, look at John 10. I said, okay. So I flip over to John 10 and he says, the hired hand, when the wolf comes and attacks the sheep, the hired hand quits because he doesn't care. But the good shepherd lays his life down. And the Lord said, that's why you can't quit. I was like, oh, because I was like, what's wrong with me? And he's like, no, no, you got it flipped. You got it flipped. It's what's not wrong. So the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not yet in the sheepfold and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Notice that. Core, like basic to what it is in this gospel is to hear Jesus' voice, know his voice, and be led by his voice. That is normal Christianity. And so, okay, so Max, he started preaching from, from John 10 saying, Jesus is the gate, and here's what he does. And if you're to be a gateway, a people who are with Jesus and who are like Jesus and who are in step with Jesus, then just as Jesus lays his life down for the sheep and for the lost, if you're serious, if you're really serious about taking on this name Gateway, and he got all, do you, anyone remember this? Max got stern. And he said, I don't know if you understand the, the soberness, the seriousness of your calling. You're not just going, oh, that'd be a nice name, Gate, oh, fun. Isn't that fun? We could put a little icon on the sign. And he's like, do you understand? The Gate lays his life down. He lays his life down. Are you willing to lay your life down for the church and for the lost? If not, don't change your name to this. And then he said a few more intense things, and then he sat down. Actually, I remember him standing there and saying, I think I, think I don't have any more words. And then he sat down in the front row, and he was like unable to stand up. He was like completely physically exhausted. And he turned to me and he said, Tim, I don't even know what just happened. That's never happened to me before. I don't know what that, where that came from. I don't know what that was. But I'm like <sighs> emptied. And I'm like, oh, okay. He became overwhelmed with an ecstatic, momentary experience. The Spirit came upon him in power for a particular word to come through him when he was not accustomed to prophecy. But it came through him anyway. It, fascinating. And I thought, oh man, this word gateway is like really serious. Then, as I did my own study on all the references in the Bible for the word gate, I found out that Jesus, when he calls himself the gate, he's referring back to Genesis 28. Who knows that story where Jacob lays down with his head on a rock as a pillow? You remember this? Yeah. And he, as he's dreaming, he has this vision of, of like heaven opening and there's like a ladder, Jacob's ladder, and angels from heaven are coming down the ladder to earth and going up the ladder from earth to heaven. So, and he wakes up and he goes, oh my word, surely God is in this place and I didn't know it. How much of that is true in our lives? Mm -hmm. 
God was here all along, but I didn't perceive, I didn't, I would, I didn't recognize it. And so he says, he sets up a monument, he pours some oil on it, he has a little ceremony, and he says, I'm going to name this place Beth El, which means house of El, house of God. He says, this is none other than the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. So Jesus later says, I'm the gate of heaven. I'm the access point where God's, where the, where the, where the power and will of, of heaven breaks into earth. It comes through me. I'm the ladder. I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the gate. I started to realize, okay, so if, when we're calling ourselves gateway, what we're, what we're saying is we sense that we have a calling to be a, a, a mobile home for God's presence. Right? This place is not gateway. Y'all are gateway. Now, we want to be good stewards of, the, of this place. We want to treat this place as sacred because it's been devoted to the Lord. We want to take good care of it. But this place isn't gateway. I know that's how we talk. Oh, meet me at gateway. Well, gateway could meet you there, actually. Because y'all are gateway. And, and so to encounter Jesus is to encounter a little mobile home. Remember this, John chapter 1? He says, and the word became flesh. And what's the next word? And tabernacled among us. That he was a mobile temple, a mobile temple where the glory of the Lord would roam around just like they carried the temple, the tabernacle, around in the wilderness, following the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And so Jesus is like, yeah, that's me. He's the Messiah. Do you remember this word? Just go with me a second. Mashiach, anointed. That's what, that's, what the, that's what the word Messiah means. The word Messiah means the one whom God has smeared his oil on, his presence on. He is empowered. He is marked. He is saturated with God's oil, with God's presence. And that he's led by God's presence and everywhere he goes, people encounter heaven because he's full and overflowing. So, and he's so overflowing that he can, he can pray for the sick and heal them without knowing he did it. All he's focused on is, I'm, I'm here with the Father, I'm walking with the Father. He was so fixated, so focused, that... He says, I never speak anything except what I hear the Father saying, and I never do anything except what I see the Father doing. So this was not like, well, we're going on an outreach, so we better get prayed up. And then for that one, or one week or so, he's really fixated on what's the Spirit saying. But then he goes back home, goes back to his normal life, and he gets in a routine, and he has like his little quiet time. No, it's 24-7, yes. Amen. So he's available 100%. It's the most surrendered of any human that we've ever seen. Yes. He's not compartmentalized. Most of the rest of us have doors in our heart that are still locked to the Lord, even though our mouth says yes. But not Jesus. Every door wide open, every moment, every bit. And he was so full, he could heal you on accident. And here's what I'm referring to. A woman in the crowd... Don't you love this? Yes. If I but touch his clothing, I'll be healed. And she pushes through the crowd. 
and she grabs hold of his clothing, and instantly she feels in her body she was healed. And he says, wait a minute, what was that? What was that? He says, what was that? He felt something shift in his spirit, not in his body, in his spirit. He felt something shift. Something made a withdrawal. Now, he didn't exercise his faith. He didn't pray. He didn't command. He didn't yell. He didn't touch. He didn't make mud. He didn't do any of the things we normally see him doing. He was just in union with the Father, and he accidentally, whoops, I got a little on you. Wouldn't that be a good day to not have to try so hard but to just be so in love and to be love so that people can withdraw life and hope and joy and encouragement from being around you without you even knowing it happened or if you do perceive it happened, it didn't take a lot of effort on your part. But he's the Mashiach. And then we, or the Christ in the Greek, Mashiach in the Hebrew, Christ in the Greek, and then at the city of Antioch, disciples began to be called little Christ, mini Christ. Oh, look, another one, a mini Christ. Well, we, go, we use the word Christian. That just means mini Christ, tiny Christ, little one. Hey, oh, look at that little tiny one. Oh, he did like the other one, but tiny Little anointed ones. Why? Because he, he, comes to dwell in us. And so now we, just like him, we're not led by a list of rules. We're not led by a denominational doctrine and a set of people who vote on everything and make decisions. Democracy is human idea. Monarchy is God's idea. Like king, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. You know, Peter gets to vote, and his vote is denied. You know, don't, you can't wash my feet. Jesus has taken a posture of a servant and says, I'm going to wash your feet. But in the posture of a servant, he's still in authority. So then Peter says, no way. And then he says, fine, then get out. You're not in my kingdom at all then. Amen. That, got, that went like zero to 80 in 2.7 seconds. Fine then, uh, not just my feet, but my head and everything. Just dump in a full bath. Change my mind. That's the classic Peter. No, absolute yes. Five seconds later. I'll never deny it. Ah! And then he's out there preaching like a madman, ready to die. Don't you love him? No matter what he does, it's with his whole heart. Okay, so Christians then are called little anointed ones. Little anointed ones. So to encounter Jesus is to, is to encounter a hot spot of, of spiritual activity. Okay, remember in the Old Testament where God is so frustrated that he says, you know what, I'm going to send you with some angels because you've, you've, you've pushed me so much. You've just provoked me so much. I'll send some angels, but I'm going to go ahead and back away. And Moses says what? Well, then let's not go anywhere. Just kill me. I'm done then. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking one step if you don't go. Moses starts to preach to God yes, he and says, if you don't go with us, we'll be just like all the other nations of the earth. We'll just have rules and lists and people, and it'll all be human agenda, human ideas, human organizational principles, human diligence, human community. We don't need more of that. We already have enough of that. You know what we need? God is you. Without your presence, we're, there's nothing 
better than anything else. There's nothing better than what anyone else already has. God, it's your presence that, ma that marks us as distinct. It's your presence where the life is. It's your presence where the peace is. Your presence is the point. So if your presence doesn't go, I'm done. The purpose, the point in the Christ dying for us is so that he could take up residence in us. So that just as he was a mobile home for the Father's glory, we are mobile homes for the Father's glory. Who's with me? It's so easy to continue with the human activity, the diligence and everything, devoid of the spirit, the actual essential element. So last summer was really rough. I can admit that, right? It's okay if I say that. Last summer was super rough. I uh, spent way too much time on the phone, didn't spend near enough time sleeping, and I was driven by an anxious energy in the midst of it, trying my hardest to get in touch with the Lord and please the Lord and have him search my heart. And some days I felt half okay and other days not at all okay. And um, I wore paths in my yard. There's a couple of shade trees uh, on the school lane side of my house and walk, go out my front door, turn left, go in between the bushes and the picnic table and turn left and come back and come in that way and come back. And I'd talk on the phone and walk and talk on the phone and walk. I'm probably correct in saying six hours or more every day for a while there. You know, when the anxiety is so strong, you don't know what to do except for try to work on the problem. But did that help? I don't know. It was a rough one. I wore paths in my yard. Like, they're still there. The paths are still in my yard from last summer that I wore walking and talking on the phone to a lot of y'all. And I remembered having this terrible thought as I was reading the book of Revelation. Jesus in chapter two of Revelation, speaking to the church in, in the city of Ephesus, he says, you're diligent, you're faithful, you're, you, you're, you're sound doctrine, uh, you rightly push back against ungodly behavior, I'm real proud of you, but you got this one thing. You have fallen away from your first love. Would you get defensive if that's you? Like just, whoa, 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 do you know what I'm going through? Hold up, you gotta, Jesus, you gotta understand what more could you possibly expect of me given the mistreatment? What more could you possibly expect of me given the workload? you just told me all the stuff I'm faithful in. Isn't that a miracle already? You want me to close the gap from 80 to 100? I, aren't, I'm blown away that I'm at 80. I feel like I, anyone else in my shoes would be at 25 out of 100 here. And you're talking about criticism. You're, you're bringing this, Lord, it's an unreasonable rebuke. No, it's not. It's not a little add-on. It's the main thing that's missing. It's what Moses said. If your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. With all the sound doctrine and sermons and faithfulness and everything else in the world without first love, Amen. the whole point is missing. And I remembered thinking, you know, Lord, have we grieved away your Holy Spirit? So Jesus says, this one thing I have against you guys, you've forsaken your first love, 
So be diligent and repent. And if you don't, I will come to you and take away, who knows what he said? Do you remember? I will take away your lampstand. So I went through a thing where I became obsessed with what is that lampstand? And I surveyed the, the text, surveyed what he said to the other churches, and each congregation had an angelic presence that would assist, in the, seems to be, a, that marks them as God's actual, authentic, spirit-filled church. And if you have a church with a lampstand, we do the human stuff. We pray for each other. We preach the Bible. We love. We serve. We give away food and clothing. If there's a lampstand, then when we preach, God in the spirit realm ministers to hearts and lives change for the better. Encouragement comes. Conviction comes. Inspiration comes. Comfort comes. Hope comes with the lampstand. We do our human part, but the lampstand does what we can't possibly do, and it's the most important part. We serve out. We, we do outreach. We share Jesus with people. Without the lampstand, we just had a nice day in the park. But with the lampstand, people go, oh, my word, I've never felt so loved. And they cry. And they go, oh, my word, there's just something about you. And they, their heart opens, and they hear the call of God saying, come home, I love you, come home, come home. The lampstand is everything. And I became kind of concerned last summer that we were sinning away or that I had somehow sinned away our lampstand because of all the weariness and the fatigue and the years of conflict. Because I know how important it is to Jesus that his body be one, like Stan's been talking about. And Stan, by the way, is kicking so much butt. He is, Jesus has Stan on a tight leash right now. He's got him calling people, apologizing, fixing things, making sure that, his, that Stan's heart is pure. And he would never say this to you about himself, but he's spanking me by example. It's good. It's healthy. So the other day we're here and uh, I'm chatting with Pete. And then I'm like, oh, I got to do a thing. I'll be right back. So I come in here and I get caught up in prayer meeting. And then halfway through, like 20 minutes into prayer meeting, I realize I told Pete I was going to come back and check on him because it was the day you had all them, right after you had all them crazy things on your head for the tests. I think you were going to tell me how it went or something like that. And so I was like, ah, oh, so I got to get out of prayer meeting. So I got out, came in. What's going on? Are you okay? Is something all right? And you started telling me that. We had a little interaction. I come back into prayer meeting. You know prayer meetings are, right? It's, you don't see electrical sparks flying out of people when they're in prayer meeting. It's just a prayer meeting. People sitting in a circle, saying a bunch of requests to the Lord. And if you're not a spiritual person, you're going to hate prayer meeting, right? But if you're a spiritual person, you know you're getting a lot of good work done, Amen. right? So anyway, you walk in. I walk in. I'm not even in prayer mode. I'm not in Holy Spirit mode. I don't walk in like, here we go back to prayer meeting. I'm just walking in like I was just a dude having a normal day. I come in the double doors and instantly in my body I feel that I've walked into a, a, a place where God's presence is here in power. Just, they're just up there having a normal prayer meeting, nothing dramatic. But I walk in the double doors, whom I can feel them all over my body. I go, well, that's fascinating. And as I walk closer and closer to this little area where everyone's praying, it increases, it increases, it increases. And I say, hmm, now that is really interesting. So the next day I'm in the kitchen and I'm still thinking about it. And I'm like, why is that like that? Because it's never been not like that. It's always been like that. He's always here. He meets me in my house. He meets us here. He's never left. And I'm in the kitchen and I'm trying to figure this out. And so all of a sudden I feel like the Lord's just connecting the dots for me. And I go, oh, wow. And Carrie's like, uh. 
wow, what? And I'm like, okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. You care to share with the class? And I'm like, it's our lampstand. And she's like, what's our lampstand? What are you even talking about? And I'm like, remember how a year ago I was so afraid that the Lord was going to remove our lampstand? It's here in full effect, y'all. We still got it. Ah, oh, so grateful. I'm so grateful. Haven't, we haven't always had it. We haven't always got it right in this house. I haven't always got it right. I'm trying. But man, he's been so kind and merciful. Okay, so all this rambling stuff was just me saying, do y'all know why we are called Gateway? We're called Gateway because we're supposed to be a Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused church. He's the gate. We're called to be a place that's obsessed with grace. We can't get enough. We're supposed to be grace addicts, allergic to there's one way to do it, there's one right way to do it, which is like, the classic Pharisee attitude about everything. No, there's a million ways to do it as long as you're in Jesus, do it his way. We're not talking about sin, we're just talking about personalities and stuff. But we're to be a Jesus-centered people, a grace-addicted people, a spirit-presence-focused people, and we're to be a people who are laying down our lives for the church and for the lost in the hopes that our intimacy with the Father can make us a walking encounter with the kingdom of God. That's why we're gateway. It's not because we're better than any other church. And I, because I, I, I don't think we are, you know. I'm just amazed that we get to be a church. We get to know Jesus. I think that's enough. I, well, I'll just say what I saw during worship instead of what I think. But I saw this net, um, like a big fishing net, maybe on, a, on the land, I guess. And um, so there's all these fish trapped under it, but there were some that were getting out. And when they got out, they didn't know what to do. They're like flipping around like a fish out of water. <laughs> and if they didn't figure out what to do now that they're out, what, they're going to die. Whether it's a physical death, or maybe we're talking spiritual death. I'm, I'm not sure, but I just felt like it went along with what you were talking about with as gateway. You know, we're a gate that's open for people to come in, but we're also the mobile that we're supposed to be going out because there are people that are getting free and the enemy's not able to steal, kill, and destroy but he's getting ready to. Like, they get free, but then they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know... They don't know how to stay free, whether it's, you know, they, they find Jesus or they get out of a toxic relationship or whatever it may be. They're not going to stay free long. They're going to be flipping around looking for someone, someone to guide them back to where they can get that life-filling water.